we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Arson and Michael Darnowski. Hi, welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Before we get to this week's show, I'd like to tell you about a new addition to the Politics Guys, listener mail. If you have a question for us, anything from can Donald Trump actually become president and if he does, how much damage could he do, to what exactly does the Federal Reserve do anyway? We'll answer it for you. To send in your question, email us at politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name and hometown, unless you prefer to remain anonymous, so that if we choose your question, we can say something like, Listener Barack O. from Washington, D.C. writes us, Great show, guys. You're the best. I was wondering if you could explain why Republicans in Congress seem to hate this president so much more than previous Democratic presidents. Jay and I know what a great audience we have, and we're really looking forward to tackling your questions. And now, on to the show. More gun violence is, once again, our top story of the week. On Friday, a man opened fire inside a Planned Parenthood center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Three people were killed in the attack, including a police officer, and nine were wounded before the attacker, a 57-year-old man identified as Robert Louis Deere, surrendered to the police. So, Jay, more gun violence again. What, what do you have to say about this? Anything aside from what we've already said, or what do you think? Well, I, I guess... Uh... Well, we've we always talk a lot about guns and the ubiquity of them and uh, how you get them. But something that's a little different about this is these are I don't want to say politically motivated, but politically related. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess that's something we we could talk about because uh, really in America, I think there's there's not much uh, politically motivated violence. I think there are a lot of times there are people who are uh, maybe naturally unhinged who uh, gravitate uh, towards politicians or causes. Sure. Um, and when I, when I say think politically motivated violence, I mean, I suppose I should define my terms. I mean, I'm thinking more of a, uh, you know, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln was, was politically right. motivated. And let, let's, preface, yeah, let's preface it to say, at this point, at least at the time we're recording this, uh, there's no, there hasn't been any sort of statement from this guy's attorney or him or him uh, about his motivations, except for one brief statement that someone uh, apparently said that he made about uh, no more baby parts. And so right. 
which totally makes sense given the given the location of the uh, of the attack. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, and the same thing goes for the, the Black Lives Matter. Uh, you know, there's there's not a necessarily a stated uh, motive, right. but but my 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 point is, and I guess this is what I wanted to talk about. I mean, are, are we to what extent uh, is this because we've ratcheted up? Uh, the rhetoric on these topics, if indeed uh, not you and me necessarily, but society, the media, um, and and to what extent is maybe this? It just uh, a matter of there are kooks out there who can get guns, and they will gravitate to uh, particular causes. Um, well, I think, and and that's I think that's a good point. That's what makes it different from some of the other. Uh, shooting stories that we've talked about. Uh, this one definitely is related to stuff that's gone on in the in the political sphere, uh, starting uh, I think in August actually, when a group released an anti-abortion uh, group released some doctored videos that made it look like Planned Parenthood and clinics were profiting from the sale of uh, fetal tissue. And well, fact, let's, well, hold on, let's get some. No, it, it, it's pretty clear that the videos video were doctored. But go ahead. The the videos, uh, I think, in 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 their essence, are correct. I mean, they are uh, selling fetal fetal parts. Uh, now, whether you want to argue about whether they're making a profit on it or not, that's a different question. Absolutely. <clears throat> but um, yeah, I think we we can both agree that uh, Planned Parenthood is is marketing uh, a fetal tissue, uh, and that that is. I think marketing might be too strong of a term, but okay. Well, I guess well. Marketing mm-hmm. suggests an ad campaign, but in any case, they are selling fetal tissue, but they are not making a profit on it, and all of that's perfectly legal. Right. Again, let's let's set the legality of it aside. Um, you know, okay. I think I think what we've got here is it's almost like you know I mentioned uh, the Lincoln assassination a minute ago. Um, what I refer to sort of like a, a John Brown problem. Uh, when you have zealous back, nuts who decide to take the law into their own hands, correct. Um, but it's also you can you can look back and uh, in some ways, uh, you know, John John Brown was a, a zealous nut <clears throat> who took the law into his own hands. Um, you know, was he wrong? Well, I mean, if 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 you're up against a, an evil like like slavery was. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who could make the argument that listen, the only the only moral position uh, is to be a, a radical nut in those situations. So I guess that's that's the the question: are we are we entering into an era where where people are engaging in these sort of things where it's it's um, they've okay, they've yeah. pushed themselves so far one way or another that they feel they they're a moral obligation. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear that there has been in the last few months more uh, violence, more threats against abortion clinics. Uh, the data bears this out, and also the number of abortion providers has decreased as as jurisdictions have made it more difficult for providers to well to provide their services and so forth. So, but I thought that the the analogy you make between John Brown is an interesting one. Is is maybe is certainly an apt one for a lot of people on the right who have oftentimes very, uh, very explicitly compared abortion to slavery in terms of the moral component of it. Mm-hmm. And so, no, and I, I mean, look, I, and let's let's be, um, you know, let's be candid here. I mean, if if you truly believe that uh, life begins at conception, it's it's murdering a human being. It, it's that's a tough. That's a tough moral call. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and so I think this is this is part of the issue that a lot of people don't really appreciate is that if you start from that point, and I, I do not agree with that, that life begins at conception, but I can I can understand and follow the logic that if someone believes that, then what's going on is widespread legalized mass murder and by any means necessary to some people at that point seems to be a, a reasonable response. I and, totally and, disagree and with that. But And I would say that's likewise true when you talk about um, uh, police shootings and responses there too. If if you honestly believe that uh, the police were targeting young black males for assassination, mm-hmm. which uh, which some in the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, movement, that's clearly where they're at. Uh, again, it's it it it's not it's not an unreasonable uh, uh, response yeah. if you're truly coming from that. Now, I guess I guess then. The, the next question is, is, you know, are these people truly reasonable uh, people or are they just uh, just nuts? I mean, I, again, we, we've talked so often about reading too much into isolated incident, incidences. Sure. Incidences. Incidences. Um, Incidences. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, uh, you know, where where again, there's there's sort of the weird magnifying effect of the media, um, uh, you know, for example, on police shootings that the. The, you know the likelihood of you actually being killed in a police shooting, black or white, um, uh, is is really infinitesimally yeah. small. You're much more likely to get hit by lightning and so forth. Well, um, and I, th- I think you actually have at least two groups of people here. You have the people who are irrational nuts that you can't talk to I mean, on both sides, I'm sure. But I think larger groups of people are people who talk past each other because they don't understand, they can't appreciate the base assumptions by which the other group is going on. So they just assume this other group is evil. And yet if they were able to put themselves in that other group's position, I think it might be a little well, I don't know if it'd be easier to craft a compromise, but perhaps clashes wouldn't be quite as acrimonious in many cases. Right. Yeah. At least that's what I'd like to think. But perhaps I'm giving people too much credit for rationality. I don't know. Well, and, and by all by all accounts, this this guy, the um, uh, Planned Parenthood shooter, uh, uh, and again, this I have no particular <laughs> psych, psychological experience or uh, expertise in diagnosis, but uh looks just plain crazy absolutely um, and, uh, and he has a history with the law he has, he has a very sketchy background it seems from initial reports and uh so yeah he he seems like to fit in part that mold of a an unhinged person who had access to a weapon and used that weapon to do awful things which gets to right into what president obama had to say yesterday morning Basically, he said, if we really care about this issue, if we're going to do more than just offer up our thoughts and prayers, then we have to do something about accessibility of weapons because we can't make the world sane, but we can make it harder for people who have who are mentally ill to get weapons and to do awful things. And I'm totally in agreement with him on that. Well, again, I well, we've we've been over this ground before. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't think. Uh, it's it's tough stemming the flow of weapons. I mean, and, and look, I'm I'm all say this now. It was to say it a couple of weeks ago. I think would have been too soon, and and Republicans did and got in trouble. But uh, you know, if you look at the gun laws in France and Paris, it's clearly you're not allowed to have them, and uh, the bad guys did, and the bad guys will always find a way. Uh, uh, so the, your your better response is either to create a system where you have fewer bad guys, uh, where you catch the mental um, uh, mental illness issues quicker are able to treat them better 
uh, uh, able to keep the guns out of the hands of those people to, if that's possible. Or you have a, a situation where, where good guys are armed. Yeah, and I, but I think that, I mean, there's been a lot of research that suggests that that, that idea of a good guy with a gun is, is uh, the efficacy of that is uh, overrated in the popular imagination. We won't get into that. I don't want to just kind of uh, argue this without any research behind me. But I think on the other side of things, most of the gun deaths come not from bad guys with guns, but from unhinged people and from gun suicides. And so I think if we want to deal with gun deaths, a reasonable approach is, in fact, to make it more difficult for everyone to get weapons. Now, I know you're not in favor of that, but I certainly am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll agree to disagree on, on, on I, that I think one. I think on the guns uh, issue, yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to agree to disagree. And so right now... Um, uh, right now, that well, let's let's talk about something we we can agree on on this, and okay. that is, um, you know, after the the uh, Arizona shootings, the Gabby Gifford shootings, uh-huh. um, when it was sort of widely circulated, there's more or less Sarah Palin who you know pulled the trigger. Um, there was a big discussion of well, we have to ratchet down our rhetoric, we have to speak uh, speak more softly, we can't say inflammatory things. Um, and I, I would I would disagree with that, and I think you're on the same page with me there. I I, I don't think that we ought to uh, abridge our our freedom of speech uh, in the uh, for the concern that there may be um, unhinged people out there. Otherwise, you're sort of giving the unhinged uh, essentially a veto. Absolutely, I, I agree with that entirely. I, I think I think any approach that focuses on constraining speech is bound to fail is a bad approach and is, I would say, is fundamentally uh, undemocratic. I believe in an approach that allows people to speak their minds, however abhorrent their views are, but makes it difficult for them to take that next step and to start hurting and killing people. Right. All right. Well, good. All right. Okay. Well, enough, uh, enough on shootings for this week, at least, I'd like to think. Let's move on to something that's not, well, I guess in a way it's kind of shooting related, it has to do with Department of Defense. Uh, on Wednesday, President Obama signed into law the National Defense Authorization Act, which calls for a little over $600 billion in military spending over the next year. Now, that's not the part of it that got a lot of press. The part of it that got more coverage was a provision in the bill that will prevent President Obama from closing the prison at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Uh, And that's one thing, of course, that President Obama has pledged he would do in his time in office. And now it looks increasingly unlikely that he'll be able to do that. And I think that's very unfortunate. What do you think, Jay? Well, um, first of all, I think it's it's good that we have a defense bill passed. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that Congress can't act, can't get anything done, and and here we got something done. Uh, it 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 was a compromise between a lot of conservatives who would like to see more military spending, uh, who were upset by the sequester situation and what that was doing to military spending, um, and and Obama uh, and you know signed it. Democrats went along with it. Uh, so look, it's it's an imperfect system, but uh, it's it's functional. Now, as for closing Guantanamo, um, that's one of those tough problems that we have. Um, these folks have to go somewhere. Uh, we're troubled by we're troubled by keeping them where they are now with uh, uh, a century life without uh, uh, opportunity for parole and holding them on on no actual criminal charges for the most part. Uh, Which, talk about un-American, 
We're just going to put you in the cell for the rest Which of your life. Which is what we're having in Cuba. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's okay because it's, it's an American, but we're not doing it in America. So that makes it okay. I think Guantanamo Bay is just horrific, and it's a symbol of so much that's wrong with America. Not that there's not a lot more right with America than's wrong, because I think absolutely that's the case. But I just think it's, uh, it's high time that Guantanamo Bay is closed. Well, you know, maybe, maybe a better way to, to do this would be to create some sort of international type situation where you could, you could um, house these sort of prisoners where there's, there's no way, nowhere you can send them. Um, yeah, they're, the- prisoners, prison, they're essentially prisoners of war with, without a country. I mean, they don't have a country that they've gone to war for. Uh, and, and therefore it's, it's not that typical situation. They're not uh, criminal in the, the U S uh, justice system. They are they are combatants. They are enemy combatants. Absolutely. And and uh, if you let them out, uh, for the most part, it's I, I can't say that this has been proven beyond beyond doubt. But but uh, the belief is many of them go back to the battle. Well, yeah. If you keep them for if you keep them for ten fifteen years in the cell without uh, without a trial or anything, then you let them out. Yeah, that might radicalize <laughs> them even a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> Has that tendency? So well, my, no, but I think I think even if you just kept them for a few days and let them back out, they would still go go right back to the battle. Sure. So, uh, which is which no, is not I, the point. The point is is that our way is not to keep you in a cell for the rest of your life because you might do bad stuff. All right. Well, what what would be your proposal then? My proposal would be to to have these people imprisoned in the United States, subject to. All the standard all the standard procedures that we would give to to anyone who's accused of some sort of a some sort of a crime, whether it be uh, a war related crime or a civilian crime, and then if we can't if we don't have evidence and can't convict them, we have to let them go. That's our way. That's what I think we're fighting for. That's what Western civilization, something we talked about last week, is all about, at least in in one respect. And we need to honor that. I think. And I think right. the idea that these folks are so dangerous that they ha- they can't be kept on American soil. We're not talking about Bond villains here. We're talking about, you know, people who don't have these massive resources to break out of prison or anything like that. So I think it's that's a ridiculous non-argument that some folks have made that, oh, they're too dangerous to keep here in the United States. Oh, I, I would I, – I would, that was really well argued. Um, you're wrong. Every once in a while. Uh, they, oh, thank but you. It was, but it was – yeah, well done. Um you know, I, I'm with you on. I, I don't necessarily see a problem uh, keeping them here uh, in the United States. Now, does that does that make you feel any better uh, <clears throat> holding people in solitary confinement uh, here in the United States? Uh, it's it's more the, the the problem and the reason that Guantanamo exists where it does is, um, you know, with its if they're not on American soil, they they are not subject to right. Uh, That's what makes it just incredibly scuzzy. Absolutely. <clears throat> So, uh, yeah, my, my, my difference with, with having them here on American soil isn't one of security that they're going to, to get out. Uh, it, is, it is more of one of uh, uh, do we treat this as a, as a war or as a law enforcement problem? And I think we, we have to treat it as a war. Uh, maybe we need to, to come up with a better definition or a better protocol uh, for what we do. I hear what and you're last, saying. Lastly, I would say I mean, this is also uh, – Another one of Obama's red lines uh, that he drew that he's now realizing he can't enforce. Um, 
And I think that's that's just a problem for this guy. Well, Congress isn't letting him enforce this one. But to, to the point you were saying, you know, I, I, I appreciate the point that you're making and that if it's a war, then different rules need to apply as opposed to, uh, uh, what did you call it, a law enforcement issue. I, I, yeah. I absolutely agree. But I think the problem becomes when we get, when we get into a never-ending war, a war on terror. Terror is not going to end. I don't see there being any end to Middle Eastern, uh, you call it Islamic extremism, whatever you want to call it. That's not going to end at any point. And so the rules that made sense for when we had wars with with other states that had clear ending points and so forth, I think those rules don't work in this modern setting. And so we well, need to I'd revisit agree. those no, you're rules. You're right. You're right. Yeah. My yeah, God. this is this is a different kind of war, and I think when we started this and got into it, maybe we didn't realize that. Absolutely. One um, other thing I wanted to mention about this before I move on is the defense bill also contains an anti-torture provision that would uh, that would make into law uh, the 2009 executive order from President Obama that banned waterboarding and other enhanced interrogation techniques. And the reason why this is important is because as it was before this, it was just an executive order, which meant that an incoming president could simply overturn that, something that, for instance, Donald Trump said he would do because I think, it's, as he put it, that even if they weren't guilty of this specific thing, they were probably guilty of something. <laughs> and so what the hell? Let's waterboard him, you know. So um, so I think that's definitely a good thing. And finally, the law also – There again, that's, that's, that's a legislative compromise. And that's how the system's supposed to work. Absolutely, and I think that's a good thing. One other thing it calls for that I definitely applaud is it calls for the president to present Congress with a broad strategy for combating the Islamic State, something he has not to this point done. And I think that's definitely needed. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think well, it's in in all it's nice to report about something that seems just generally pretty pretty positive that Congress did and the president grudgingly went along with, I would have liked to have seen that uh, Guantanamo provision not be in there as President Obama would have. Now when he signed it, he included something called a signing statement, which basically is where the president says, okay, I recognize this is law, but I'm not necessarily going to follow it because, in this case, he said, because he wasn't entirely sure if it was constitutionally okay, and so he might not feel it's necessarily binding. Right. Well, and that's that's going to be a question for the courts, and I, I think uh... – a presidential signing statement uh, is is going to lose over a legislative uh, yeah. uh, enactment every time. Yeah, my my guess is <clears throat> I, I'm, my guess is this, the same, and I actually think that he's wrong on the facts in this. While I disagree with the policy, I don't think that it's unconstitutional. But and I don't actually think it's going to get to the point where the courts are going to test it. So, right, it's a political statement. Yeah, absolutely, actual... absolutely a political statement. Okay, moving on. Uh, something that happened in my neck of the woods. This week, on Tuesday, Kentucky Governor Steve Beshear issued an executive order that immediately granted voting rights to about 140,000 nonviolent felons who'd completed their sentences. Now, he did this. Uh, he's going to be going out of office fairly soon. So this is one of his last acts as governor. And uh, at, at this point, Kentucky is only one of three states that imposes a lifetime ban, voting ban, on felons unless they receive a special exemption from the governor. The other two states are Florida and Iowa. So what do you think, Jay, about restoring voting rights to nonviolent felons? I, you know, this will may surprise some people. I'm actually okay with it. Um, depends on the nonviolent felony they've committed. I think there are certain crimes, particularly those related to election fraud, uh, you know, various other types of, of fraud, 
uh, where there ought to be either a, a complete prohibition or a lengthy prohibition. Sure, that makes sense. Um, uh, but uh, uh, no, I, I there's there's something that is really important in getting people who who come out of prison and something that a lot of folks don't realize is most of the people who are are in prison now will get out before before unlike Guantanamo detainees yes exactly <clears throat> exactly I'd be I'd, and to be clear I would not let Guantanamo detainees vote yes I can, um, I can agree with you on that yeah, they shouldn't be voting <laughs> but, right uh, uh, no, it, restoring them to normal citizenship. Uh, I, I think that's that's something that's a good, especially when we're, when we're talking about uh, uh, low-level uh, drug felons, uh, theft, that sort of thing. And again, I, I don't know that it makes a huge difference electorally. No, because although one hundred four thousand seems to be a big number. Well, it, it, in fact, it might go up to around one hundred seventy, but. Probably most of those, I, I, I don't know, I don't have the data in front of me, but I'm guessing that the voter turnout for um, for felons who have served their time is probably very low, even in states where they're allowed to. Obviously, it would be zero in states where they're not allowed to. But uh, Now, this also, I should point out, I mentioned it's an executive order, and that's because while the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives in Kentucky passed a provision to uh, undo this, to give voting rights to these nonviolent offenders. The Republican-controlled Senate has blocked it. And that, that isn't surprising to me because to the extent that most of these nonviolent offenders would vote, they would almost certainly, I would guess, vote overwhelmingly for Democratic candidates than Republican candidates. And did you have do you have data for that? Or no, that, I, I, that would be my guess. Again, that would be my All guess, right. and that All just right. that's based that's based on the fact that the votes, uh, the vote percentages from <laughs> the most criminals, not not even family. criminal stuff, most socioeconomic most... status, basically, is that okay. the poor and downtrodden tend to favor the Democrats because they don't want to get screwed over by Republicans. I see. That's that, All right. that's my theory. In any case, so I think that's that's another uh, a positive step. And the nice thing is that the incoming governor of uh, Kentucky, Matt Bevin, who's a conservative Republican, is actually seems to be okay with this and doesn't look like he's going to overturn this executive order. So that's good news for a lot of folks who are maybe trying to uh, get restarted with their lives in Kentucky. They'll at least have the chance to uh, to vote and take part in the political process. So another piece of good news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My God, this is going to be the good news Thanksgiving uh, podcast or something We're like that. We're for, thankful for voting felons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, other, one other thing I wanted to cover, uh, we still have a little bit of time, is uh, on Monday, uh, Pfizer, you've heard of Pfizer, the drug giant. I have, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're like the third largest drug company in the world. They announced a, an $160 billion merger with uh, one of their competitors, Allergan. They make Botox, among other things. Now, the odd thing about this merger is that Pfizer has a market value of a little bit over $200 billion, but it's being acquired by Allergan, which is nearly 40% less valuable than Pfizer. And you right. would think, so it's, it's, it's like Joan eating the whale or something like that. But the reason for this is that Pfizer is based in New York, so it's an American company. Allergan is incorporated in Ireland, although that's really kind of a, a fiction because they actually run out of New Jersey. But the difference here is that Pfizer right now pays the U.S. corporate tax, 35%, whereas the Irish rate is 12.5%. So by having Allergan buy Pfizer, they get to reincorporate as an Irish company at that 12.5%. And this is something called an inversion where the smaller company essentially 
fictitiously buys up the larger company so they can get the lower tax rate. And this has been a big problem for U.S. companies or for the United States in recent years. So uh, is this something that you think is a good thing, bad thing? What, what do you have to say about this merger, Jay? I, you know, I, I, I'd suppose it's a, a bad thing in the sense of uh, uh, losing tax dollars. If, you're, if, you're, if your concern is uh, tax dollars uh, flowing into the U.S. Treasury or flowing into the Irish Treasury, I, I suppose it's, it's bad. Um, is, it, is it absolutely understandable? Yes. Uh, I, I, I think it's – if you're a, a business person, if you're a CEO, if you're charged with the welfare of um, your stockholders' uh, money – uh, it's it's sort of almost a dereliction of duty to do otherwise. And you know what? I'll maybe surprise some people and absolutely agree with you. I think this idea that these are these are evil, greedy companies that should be you know that that should be tisk tisk or something like that for you know doing what's perfectly within the law. They're just responding to the incentives of the system. And so, if we <laughs> want to change the behavior, we need to change the incentives in the system. And absolutely. And one yeah. of the I mean, there are two issues here. One of these issues is that this practice of inversions is legal. Um, and so there have been measures in Congress to make inversions, corporate inversions, illegal, but they haven't gotten very far. Now, Republicans in Congress are claiming that it's not because they're for inversions, but it's because they're arguing that if we're going to change things, let's not mess around. Let's totally redo the U.S. tax code. And correct. the thing yeah. is, is I think that's a great argument and a crummy argument at the same time. The reason why I think it's a great argument is that the U.S. tax code, which hasn't had an overhaul since Ronald Reagan in 1986, right, desperately in need of one. Absolutely the case. This is bipartisan agreement on this. The problem is that that I think in part the people who are arguing for this are arguing for it disingenuously because they know the difficulty of getting this done, whereas it would be a lot easier to pass a simpler, smaller law on inversion. Now, they don't want to do that. Now, you could say well, I'm, that I'm arguing. I'm, I'm arguing completely genuinely for it. Okay. Um, so, uh, no, I, I, I think the, the prevention, preventing uh, inversions is, is sort of treating the, the symptom, not the disease, and, and treating it with a, a medication that, that's going to have some, some serious side effects. Um, you know, look, it's, it's, uh, I don't see the side effects thing. That's what I'm wondering. What do you mean by that? And that's really kind of a nice analogy, by the way, the drug thing. I did catch that. Yeah. Uh, see what I did there? Um, well, no, I mean, again, a lot of people think that companies like Pfizer, uh, are just plain evil, uh, because they make pharmaceuticals. Uh, but there are a whole lot of pension funds that own stock in Pfizer. There are plenty of little old ladies who have stock in Pfizer, uh, there are plenty of college endowments that have stock in companies like Pfizer. And if you're going to do things that are, are going to depress the value of the stock, if you're going to do things that make it more difficult for the company to operate, make it more expensive, make them less likely, less able to, um, uh, you know, do more research and development, find new drugs, do, you know, do all the, the things that, that you would hope a pharmaceutical company would do. Uh, what you essentially do is you, you limit the, the potential growth of that company, which is good for for everybody's a stockholder, and if they can't thrive or, or, or thrive as much, I mean, you also put pressure on them to raise prices. Yeah, I, and I, I I'm so I, mean, I just that. I'm saying from an economic standpoint, and it's it's something that's difficult to measure uh, across the board. But I think the general health of the economy is is better served when companies are allowed to freely 
merge, uh, buy each other, sell each other, and so forth. And, and again, I, there's there's plenty of, of uh, protections in there from an antitrust standpoint and so forth. Sure, and there, there's, there's there isn't that. an antitrust issue with this merger, and no one's even questioning that. This is totally legal. It's important yeah. to point that out. But I think what, what bothers some people, what bothers me, is that uh, inverted companies – almost always keep their headquarters, keep their people in the U.S. They're listed on U.S. stock exchanges. They raise capital under the protection of U.S. securities law. So they have it both ways. And I'm saying if you want those things, which are which come at a cost, you should have to pay that cost. And so that's why I don't think that a law that would make inversions much more difficult is at all unreasonable, given how given what a heavy lift it's going to be for tax reform. So I think in the interim, well, that's a reasonable intermediate step. Let, let me point out the other, the other problem with that. Uh, you also create another incentive, and that is to say, screw it, we're just going to move to Ireland. Sure, but again, there is, there if you is, did that entirely, that. <laughs> then you wouldn't get – then you wouldn't we'll just mean, become a foreign corporation. Right, and there are, there are huge disadvantages to that. But right now, they don't have to make that choice. Because we're not, well, we're not forcing them. To, yeah, choice. and I, I don't want them to force them, force them to. I think if they were forced, so, they wouldn't. I think it's making it too easy for them. But, uh, right. but anyway, I mean, we can both agree. Certainly, in the end, that tax reform desperately needed probably isn't going to happen anytime soon. Probably I not. Think. I don't think. Yes. Okay. Um, well, it is. Well, it was Thanksgiving at least a few days ago here, and I wanted to end things with the Thanksgiving story. That's a political okay. story too. Uh, as you may know, you probably know, you're a student of history. Since oh, the late 19th century, Thanksgiving traditionally celebrated the final Thursday in November. But mm-hmm. in 1939, which was FDR, uh, his seventh year in office, that last Thursday was on November 30th. Retailers were not happy about that. And they weren't happy about that because that meant less of a shopping season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So what did yeah. FDR do? He moved the holiday. He, moved, he sprang into action. The activist guy that he was, he moved the holiday to Thursday, November 23rd. What did Republicans do? They freaked out. I love one quote from so. you know, I love one quote from Alf Landon, who got creamed by Roosevelt in one of those elections that he won. That he won. Landon said it was an unprecedented. Uh, it was a sorry. He sprung this decision on an unprepared country with the omnipotence of a Hitler. I thought, well, yeah. wow, that's that's it. so. The Hitler thing goes way back. That's even before Hitler was like seriously right before Hitler, Hitler was was really. I mean, Hitler. he was big, but I mean, he, was, he, was, yeah. he was Hitler, but he yeah. wasn't yeah. exactly. So, um, now in the end, at that first Thanksgiving, only twenty three of the forty eight states at the time ended up moving up the holiday. But a few years later, at the end of nineteen forty one, Congress passed a joint resolution, which President Roosevelt signed, that moved Thanksgiving officially to the fourth Thursday in November, which is how we celebrate it now. So it looked like in the end, Congress sort of agreed with, I don't know if they were agreeing with FDR, but they were certainly agreeing with the retailers on that issue. Well, you can agree with the retailers and you can still agree with, with uh, disagree with FDR as from taking the unilateral action. Um, when, when did he make the proclamation? This was uh, August 15th, 1939. Okay. So it was, it was I guess a, that gives you a little bit of lead time. Yeah, I mean, there was enough time to prepare. But and so still. Forth. But yeah, Republicans were not big fans. People would have to rewrite the calendars and so forth. I mean, you'd have... So it'd be more business for the calendar. Oh, they probably couldn't get Mexico. It's, it's know, anyway, big but. calendars that was, was exactly yeah. That this the big calendar lobby was behind all of that. It's really disgraceful. So, all right then. Well, uh, that's about all the time we have for this week. 
Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions for our new Ask the Politics Guys segment or just any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate the show and write a quick review. The Politics Guys will be back next Sunday. We hope you'll join us.